0: Hey everyone, you found episode three of our new podcast, Exploring Kodawari. If you haven't heard the term, Kodawari is a Japanese concept word, which essentially means pursuing perfection in a craft, or perhaps more generally in life. But embedded in the meaning of this word is the knowledge that you can't actually reach that perfection. Like, obviously you can't reach that perfection. But it's the honest attempt that gives life meaning. I think any music performer can relate to that fact. Anyways, our guest for this episode is a perfect example of someone who exudes the Kodawari energy. Her name is Chris Quappus, and she is an expert in early music and the Baroque trumpet. She appears regularly as a soloist and principal trumpet in period instrument ensembles across North America, and she teaches Baroque trumpet at Indiana University's Jacobs School of Music. Her bio is way too long to read here, so I encourage you to check it out on her website, which I linked in the episode notes. For non-music geeks listening, this means that she specializes in early music, music from the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries, more specifically, music written for the trumpets of those time periods. But more generally, she's just an inspiring person, and in fact, when I was a young lad in high school, around 2005, she was living in New York, and I randomly began trumpet lessons with her within about a few months, I I think, I had edited my whole life path and decided to pursue music performance. Um, In this episode, we talk about many things, including what it means to be an artist, how to prepare for concerts, how to balance technique and artistic expression. In other words, how do we transcend technique and just surrender to the artistic expression of being a performer? And we also talk about life philosophy more generally, especially as musicians who aren't able to perform during the coronavirus pandemic. Those kinds of deep questions have been on all of our minds, I think. Anyways, it was a fun and meaningful conversation, and we hope you enjoy it. All right, we're going. Chris, welcome to Exploring Kodawari. We don't even know exactly what this is yet, but, you know, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Either do I. <laughs> so I will have... um introduced you already a little bit in the introduction um but do you want to just tell people who you are what you do
1: yeah sure um my name is chris kwapis and for the most part i am a baroque trumpet specialist and that's uh mostly how i spend my time and energy and thoughts but in addition to that i um live a life and (laughs) what uh, (laughs) i garden and i cook and uh I do things like that. I paint a little bit and, uh, obsess about the state of the world.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which is way too easy to do during um, (laughs) COVID-19. Absolutely. How, how have you before, let's just get that part out of the way. Like, how have you been dealing with that as a human, as a musician? It hit musicians weird, I think, right?
1: Yeah, I totally think it did in, in some ways, uh, it feels like was it all a dream? Right. Like did did were there were there the olden times when we would play concerts and yeah. and gather together and think nothing of it, or and, go to
0: the uh, grocery store and not be so aware of your hands, <laughs> or yes,
2: make lists or always on your be phone. aware of your hands? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. 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 It did. It hit me. It hit. I guess probably for for so many of us musicians, especially who are used to doing at least having part of our lives that are exceedingly public, uh, where we're out and we're playing concerts and we're talking to people, and um, and then there's that other half of most of our lives where we're in a in a small room practicing and doing our own thing, and but I think there was that balance right uh, yeah and that I, I feel like for me especially i feel like the first the first few weeks were kind of um relaxing or in a in a weird way because i'm used to being on the road so much and my lap and fall was super busy mm-hmm. and uh and then it was just so nice to actually be in the same Place at my home for more than one one day or two days in a row. So yeah, but then then it started to get a little bit um,
0: (laughs) got old real fast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We loved the first. We were like going on walks, and it was like you know all this spaciousness. And then and then it was like, oh, this is going to be a while, huh?
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would grab like technique books and start practicing. I'm going to finish this one and that one and. Uh, just like nothing's happening basically (laughs) just like (laughs) yeah i don't want to see you violin yeah like it's been weird i guess yeah
1: i found i found it strange too that uh throughout the rest of my life um practicing was never something that i needed to work up the uh (laughs) the courage or ambition to have it was just always there and, you know, maybe it was just the fear of knowing that a performance was coming up or something.
0: Definitely that plays but, a role, like for mm. motivation, um, you know, you don't want to embarrass yourself by looking like a fool. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. I'll I'll even, if I have an advanced student working on a concerto I haven't played in years, I'll, you know, work on that or whatever, just so that I don't. But um, now I find myself in practicing just wandering like I'll be like, yeah. oh, today I'm going to practice, but I warmed up, so I guess I'll play through a concerto, <laughs> you know, like yeah. just yeah. to get something on on your face and get some some time playing. But it's really hard to like, because I mean, what the New York Phil just announced they canceled their whole fall season. I'm sure a lot of orchestras will follow that and and with over the summer. So it's like, yeah, when when you don't have any near term goals, the the whole project starts to you know get unstable. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think that's I think that's interesting because like I said, uh, that's a, it's never been even something that I've thought about because there's always been something, you know, even when you're in seventh grade, there's always something coming up solo and ensemble. Or, right, right. Mm-hmm. You know? That old yeah, seventh grade and, band uh, solo. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean
0: my first one, it was in ninth grade when I was getting a little more geeky about trumpet and it was just an off stage solo that was like a C scale basically <laughs> and i was just like so prepared for
1: that <laughs> yes well i think i i think i remember i think i remember you right around that same time right so. that's when
0: we started lessons i think uh, it was 10th yeah. grade yeah oh okay yeah okay. i can i and to think that i thought i knew how to play trumpet then i wonder what 10 me, 10 years from me now will think but you know
1: yeah, well, I think I think the curve changes over time too.
0: Yeah. So what else have you been up to then um other than music? Have you been keeping busy with productive things or whatever?
1: Yeah, I f- I feel like I kind of go in waves as well with that too um lots of gardening type projects and and taking care of uh a number of little to-do list things that I've wanted to do, but usually I had the good excuse of not being actually at home. Yeah, to, yeah. to do work or cleaning or things right. like that. Um, painting. Some I do some painting, and so um, that's been kind of that's been kind of a nice
0: the encaustic, distraction. Right?
1: Yeah, in caustic yeah.
2: painting.
0: Yeah, I was just showing her on away. your website some of those.
2: Yeah, it's beautiful stuff, really. I've been well, thank you. looking at it. Yeah. A lot of waves. Yeah, it's it's a kind of
1: an interesting thing because it's uh I feel like it is so much more uh improvisatory just because of the nature of using the medium which is wax and you have to use a um torch to to burn each layer in and who knows what will happen sometimes, even if you have really good control. And I think in a way music or life
0: is like that. Is, yeah.
1: It, it's, similar it's Preparation
0: that. plus randomness. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: I mean, that's what I love about performing music is um, however much you prepare in the moment. It's, it's a bit random. I mean, not randomness totally, but randomness is there playing its part a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I was younger, I rejected that, you know, and then it causes stiffness and, and stuff. And when I, you just embrace the randomness, even if it's only 10% or 15%, things free up. You just go,
1: ah, whatever. Yes. Yeah. Well, isn't <laughs> that, you know, and I think that's, I think that's a life lesson too, because I think um, uh, if if we, if we stay, if we stay too focused on a specific goal or a specific, a specific idea, I think, especially of what we think our life is supposed to be, mm-hmm. then, I, you know, we miss out on, on, on maybe what it's really supposed to be.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Which maybe is supposed to stay somewhat mysterious or something. Indeed. You know, like, if you could define it perfectly, then what would that mean? Like, you know, then just be that, you know? It's like, here would be right. the ideal version of me in my life. It's like, well, then why aren't you doing it? <laughs> <It's>
1: like, <laughs> well, yeah, that, that sounds like a lot of pressure, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. It would be too much pressure to even know. Would, wouldn't you just be a god or something?
1: <laughs> um, well, maybe one of us will find out sometime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we are trumpet players, right? <laughs>
1: well, sure. Good point.
0: Uh, so what baked in? What do you think uh, for like non-musician listeners, like, uh, I think musicians, we all have a s- musicians who make it to a certain level, all have a similar work ethic. I'm not quite sure where it comes from. I think I had it before music because I did that when I played lacrosse. I was up at the school throwing the ball against the wall for three hours, while other people might not have been. Um, mm-hmm. I was just a kid. I don't know why I was doing it. It was probably just like, this seems better than other stuff I could do. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I'm not sure if, if music is why people work hard, but it seems to be that for musicians to get past like grad school and be, become a professional, you have to be the kind of person that can grind it out for three hours a day. Certainly at least when you're developing your skills in, in school. But you know, I, I don't know if I practice three hours a day when I'm playing concerts but it's more like you practice enough every day. It's it's on vacations you bring at least your mouthpiece to stay in, like that kind of stuff that other people would be like just leave your work at home it's like eh cuz when vacation ends there's a concert that week so I can't, you know. So where do you yeah, think that motivation that comes consistency.
1: from? Consistency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the motivation um yeah, it probably comes partly from that but I guess this is where where you start thinking about well um, you know, that idea of of what is the difference between playing and uh, working And uh you know, I guess there's there's some saying you can look it up or, uh, but it's something like, you know it's it's the the master is the one who has um, uh, has been able to figure out how play and work are one and the same and indistinguishable mm-hmm. so that, so that when you work hard it's it's also a a form of play
0: right and, yeah um,
1: and not just playing like an instrument but well the you word know, play just has, has been
0: uh, you know people interpret it to mean i think like like play like not try at something or but like you can play a board game and really play it you know like or you could just be like not paying attention you know if you ever been to a board game night you always have like the people who halfway through abandon it you know
1: And then (laughs) you have the people
0: who are like, no, no, no,
1: I'm in this. Like, (laughs) no, we are done. I don't care if this takes all night. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I guess, I guess probably, I bet you would find most musicians are in that category.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I
1: guess.
0: I mean, it's certainly at some point I, there's that feeling of like, this is an interesting problem to solve, like learning how to articulate correctly or bow correctly on a violin. Um, there's that at least like problem solver technical part, and then it, I think later comes the more artistic part. How did you get into mm-hmm. music? Like, what was there like a moment that kind of sparked you, or were, was it earlier in life? Like for Yanka, what were you six I was when six, when yeah. she was set on the path to become a violinist? You know, <laughs> yeah, it was very different from me, which was like we started lessons in <laughs> tenth grade, and I was like, you can go to college for music? What? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And I was like, but wow, I don't want to teach band. Sex? You're like, "No, you could play. You could just do yeah. that." <laughs> I
1: was like, "Yeah, Whoa. there there is a just the one option." Yeah, no, I know. I felt like it was important to pay that that concept forward because when I was your age, I thought that was the only option as well as to yeah. be a band director. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but plenty the people of good who ones, are plenty of bad ones
0: like any other job.
1: <laughs> yeah, right, of course, of course. I
0: yeah. remember my mom when you started teaching me lessons, she was like, she's a doctor of the trumpet? What does that mean, you know? I was like, I don't really know. <laughs>
1: I'm in 10th grade. <laughs> so I prescribed you some etudes? Yeah, and- <laughs> something like that, yeah. Because I didn't think, I was like,
0: what Like, what could you possibly, what detail could you learn about the trumpet to be a doctor of it, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, in, in, in many ways, I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, so for people who don't know, there's like the PhD path, like, and then for musicians who are in performance, it's called a Doctor of Musical Arts, DMA. So it's a slightly different thing than if you were getting a PhD in composition or other musical history fields or something. Because mm-hmm. it, it, well, it depends where you go in terms of how it splits the performing part and the academic part. I know some schools are yeah, more... Yeah, that's true.
1: And yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut up. But yeah, some schools call it a a Doctorate of Music or... Yeah, and and I think it's what's interesting is for a doctorate it can be very different at, at different schools. Like how much performance and how much academic. and yeah. mm-hmm. Some schools require a dissertation, a formal dissertation. In some schools, you just have to submit documents and. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's quite various. Yeah. It. I. But I, I I certainly didn't know that that was a thing when I when I started playing trumpet. Yeah. Exactly. In, yeah. When I was ten.
0: <laughs> um. So uh, were, you, were you later in high school or earlier in middle school? Like, at what point did you go, I'm doing music?
1: Well, it was pretty early on. I started, I started playing in band in fifth grade, and, uh, like, I literally couldn't wait. Mm-hmm. I, I kept asking about it. I just, I couldn't wait to play something. And, um, and I ended up playing trumpet just because my cousin had one. And yeah,
0: that's always the reason, right? Like some random thing, kind of and now it's what you do, <laughs>
1: yeah. right? And now I. What if your cousin day. had a
0: saxophone? Like,
1: would you ever thought about that? I know, <laughs> alternate universe. Yeah, um, but yeah, I just I couldn't wait, and then in fifth grade I started playing and um, had a really great band director um who I'm in contact with on a regular basis still. Uh, luckily for me. Um, And yeah, I I went away to. I got a scholarship to go to Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp in Michigan, where I grew up. I know that uh, that camp. Yeah, Blue Lake. And so I got a scholarship there. I think it was uh, the summer of. It was either sixth or I think it was seventh grade. And it was actually the very. I still remember this very clearly. My rehearsal we read the William Bird Suite, which is kind of funny because um, I ended up doing early music. But I, I still remember like what it felt like, what it sounded like to have this group of people and everyone really cared about it and wanted to be there. And they all practiced and wanted to make something amazing. And right. I still remember the very first notes and I was thinking, I don't know how or what, but I want to do this as much as I can for mm-hmm. as long as I can.
0: So you were drawn to like the social feeling of like, because in, in public school, a lot of times every activity you do, like half the people are just trying to sabotage it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like in middle school band or even high school band, half the people are literally scheming on how they could drive the teacher crazy. <laughs> Like, I know in my trumpet section in middle school and high school, kids would purposely loosen their valve caps to make, like, loud clicking noises, and then they play dumb when you call them out on it kind of stuff, you know? I was just Mm -hmm. teaching a lesson now, and I said to the kid, I was like, I know you're not trying. It's just really annoying. I (laughs) just know that I know. (laughs) <laughs> I've seen it. I yeah. know what this looks like. <laughs> You've done it to me many times, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I had the same experience. Yeah, Even I, just doing like a musical, I, I was like, "Oh, everyone is collaborating and wants to be here. That energy is like really cool."
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point, and I don't think I've I've necessarily thought of it that way. You know, in my head, I kind of imagined that it was it was that collective sound, mm-hmm. but. I think I think you're on, on to a smart point that um, that it's it's that act of uh, having us all be together doing the thing, mm-hmm. and and when I think of you know my like favorite memories of you know maybe playing concerts or or rehearsals, which for the most part. Don't tell the audience, <laughs> but <laughs> sometimes the rehearsals are way more fun and interesting because people I don't funny? know yeah. take more chances. Very true, yeah, yeah, and 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 really, like um, I don't know. I feel like sometimes we listen more to each other.
0: Yeah, I, th- there's something about the energy, and it can be the reverse too. Like I've had plenty of concert cycles where the rehearsals are awfully boring. And then for some weird reason, something's right in the air on the night of the concert and some magic comes together. And um, I think we were talking about this in in the first episode we recorded about that feeling it's in like in an orchestra, there's sort of like this um, energy that spreads where people are like, I'm really focused. And then like everyone around them gets focused and it spreads and all of a sudden the whole orchestra is just on point. The togetherness is really together the the energy is just all unified and and then sometimes it's the opposite of that where you're just like what's happening (laughs) like (laughs) everyone's out to lunch and we're still here we are playing this concert like (laughs) (laughs) yeah sort of on autopilot yeah yeah do you find there's less of that in the early music world than there is because i see it a lot in the just more standard classical like symphony orchestra world where you can kind of get that like unengaged, but still get all the notes out type of playing. And I just see more of that visceral energy from early music, but I could just be biased with, I haven't heard enough, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and it's tough for me because I don't, um, I just don't do the modern thing much anymore at all. Um, but I don't know, I feel like, I feel like the thing about, at least for me, it, with early music is so much of it, even in a larger thing like something like Messiah. It it still has that sense of chamber music mm-hmm. of of like having a conversation and and really, uh, you know, it's a it's a smaller unit type thing. Yeah, and maybe that's partly why there's more sense of engagement because it's one on a part and yeah, everyone has a sense that they're contributing to their part
0: yeah their contribute their contribution is like pretty crucial you know if they're having a bad night there's no one else playing second violin or something like right. yeah or trumpet <laughs> or yeah. i don't think there's such a thing as having a bad night playing messiah for trumpet <laughs> i mean there definitely is but
1: <laughs> well in, in in some ways <laughs> how many
0: times do you think you played messiah have you ever calculated it
1: Oh my gosh, wow. I mean, it's definitely the piece that I've performed more than anything else. And I mean, every season I do usually at least I don't know, in the neighborhood of 20 performances of it. <laughs> oh. And so that I mean, sometimes it's a little less. Um I think actually the most I've ever done in in like one like Christmas time, not counting Springtime Messiahs, but I think the most I did was 18 or maybe maybe 19 but anyway it was a lot
0: <laughs>
1: i think you um, called it a messiah marathon right yeah i think so it feels like that it has a sort of groundhog day um aspect to it where where you're like, wait, did we already do the A section, or yeah. you know, uh, is is there a repeat, or did we already do it? Or-
0: Memories blur together, right, from different like, wait, was this the one where we're not taking the repeat, or was it, you know, totally, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, probably over my career. I mean, I, I'm not a math, um, I'm not a math expert, but you know, roughly 15 times 20, mm-hmm. so. I'll let you do, I'll let you figure that out.
0: <laughs> Yanka, 15 times 20. Come on.
2: <laughs> nope. I'm the last person on earth I have an event. <laughs> She's just trying to make me look good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a question here um, for listeners that are not familiar with early music. Um, I have seen how much work, like, um, kind of preparation goes into it pre-performance. Um, I think compared to other um eras of music Um I, I see Luke like reading extensively researching and then like I know books. about your yeah lessons <laughs> and everything so I was just curious um what is your routine about like preparing for a performance like what do you, where do you go what are your sources like what are the things that you do before the notes like I would say
1: yeah well you know I think it depends it depends obviously on the piece and if it's you know we were just talking about messiah but and i of course i play it all the time but every year before messiah season i'm always i'm always trying to read more mm-hmm. learn more um understand the piece in in a larger context so you know i'll i'll look at the typical sources um early music sources like specific things about articulation you know like the quants or you know I'll read things like that or I'll I'll just go to my buddy Jay store and uh, see see what the more more current articles mm-hmm. yeah. are about whatever piece or composer or time period or um, genre and surprisingly enough there's a lot of good um, jumping off points yeah on Wikipedia for <laughs>
0: No, I mean, I, I love the Wikipedia rabbit hole phenomena where like you just get all lost like, all the, mm-hmm. like every time I start research, all of a sudden I'm reading about like the middle ages unrelated to music and I'm like, oh crap, I did it again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But and, you know, it's a good thing. And yeah, I think um, for me, and I guess until I started studying early music, the concept of trying to understand what their lives were like um, for the music that. That we're performing. It just didn't occur to me that that was um, something I should explore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think like, how, how better can you try to understand how a piece of art works, uh, than to try to um, put yourself in in the shoes of the people who lived and, and were observing art at that time.
0: Which is hard, not only because it's hard, like, it, you ha-
1: but it's kind of disturbing to do.
0: Like, you have to really be like, oh, my gosh, human beings, what were they up to? <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. like, when you try to imagine, like, Bach's life, like, like not just like, yeah, he was like, you know, that 1600s, 1700s, whatever. But, like, be like, y- you wake up and what do you do, you know? And, yeah. And at that level of detail of, like, or as we've talked about in our lessons dealing with Bach, like, you know, the role of religion today versus back then, so different. And when you really imagine that, all of a sudden Bach's music starts to make way more sense. Before that, I was like, yeah, Bach is that cool composer with the really complex voice leading that we learned about in school, and didn't really connect to the spiritual element of it until I started imagining, like, what would I believe? You know, you can arrogantly think, Of course, I would be an atheist in the 1700s too, you know, like, but it's like, no, you probably wouldn't because that word didn't exist.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, and just conceptually, like so many ways of thinking, you know, I, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but like the, the concept of, of crops failing Mm -hmm. was, was a religious issue Mm -hmm. (laughs) for, for people instead of one that has something to do with science. And, you know, I suppose there are people who might argue that that hasn't changed? Yeah,
0: and, and who am I to say? I don't know how crap I <laughs> Right. <that either>. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, if, yeah. Have you ever played the counterfactual game of like, what would you be if you weren't a musician? Or is that just like a, I can't even go there kind of thing?
1: <laughs> no, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I suppose I would probably do other sorts of things that aren't... Um, financially sound (laughs) but but are really fascinating uh i remember an anthropology class that i took in undergrad and it was a it was a survey of of general uh you know all of the different uh specific fields within anthropology and um I remember thinking, even at the time, like, man, if I weren't completely sold on doing music, this, this is fascinating—like mm-hmm. cultural anthropology and linguistics, and um, yeah, archaeology, and of course, comes to fi- come to find out, you know, about ten years later, I start doing early music, which, in so many ways, is like cultural anthropology. Yeah. True. Yeah. right and it and and, you know the linguistics part like you have to know you have to know the way that um italian or that latin was pronounced in italian speaking countries versus german Mm -hmm. and what are those differences and you know all of those all of those little details which hopefully you can help make make music come to life in a way that's more um meaningful yeah for you and for the audience yeah
0: it's like every point of connection you can make even if it's not directly applying to what you're playing is it just makes something more meaningful and it's not like the audience knows how much you know about bach necessarily like it's not right there literally but it's in the feeling of like you will play it differently when you have all those points of connection to the repertoire you're playing and i feel like that's just not trained as much in the regular standard, you know, conservatory classical training. Um, I mean it might be gestured at, but it's more of like, yeah, it's a gesture and now let's get back to the main idea, which is playing in tune and playing your scales and all yeah. that, you know?
1: Very true. Yeah, well, you know, that goes goes to the question of like what do I do for preparation? And I think um I think I think that is is equally important is like how to how to uh, gain enough endurance to play through these crazy trumpet parts, yeah, and you know it's it's just as important to have that kind of um, mental endurance and and just the just curiosity for goodness sake, you know, I think, yeah, I think that's one of the things that needs to be cultivated so much more because by being curious, uh, you start to ask questions and by asking questions, you you learn so much more than, than if you just think you already know how it's supposed to go and then you just, or you copy what someone else did. Yeah, and not
0: that copying is wrong because we all do it as part of the learning, but yeah, curiosity is like, do you remember um, our first, well, I guess we only went together to the Colbert Report once, but Neil yes, deGrasse Tyson was that. the guest.
1: Of course I remember that.
0: I think I was um, a freshman in college or something and somehow I had not heard of Neil deGrasse Tyson yet. But his his shtick is all about, like, we are born curious. We are creatures that just want to explore around us, like, look at kids and how they just mess with things and break things and knock the pots and pans down. and And then it gets programmed out of us, like, here's how the world works, and then stop that curiosity. It's going to make you, it's going to put you in danger. It's going to, you know, <laughs> distract you from becoming a good little businessman and starting a good little family, you know, like it you just kind of get programmed out of it but i found like that's totally what motivates my research when i'm doing early music stuff is like just that i just want to know like it's just curiosity yeah. maybe it's like a primitive that comes with the hard drive you know
1: yeah but i think i think that gets at the point that you're asking about earlier too about um you know what what drives people to to do a certain thing and you know, even when you were, when you were a young lad playing lacrosse, you know, you were, you were probably curious about, you know, how, let's see, how consistent can I be with, um, catching or mm-hmm. I don't know if, what the term is for. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do the uh, lacrosse, lacrosse
0: podcast next. <laughs> all right. Exactly. I assumed you studied up for that.
1: <laughs> um, oh, of course not at all.
0: <laughs> well, you knew the word catch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, see, there you go. But yeah, I think that I think that curiosity is really the sort of thing that um, that keeps us interested, or else, you know, like who else would like play or, yeah, I guess like play the same piece every year, week after week after week, um, without without it getting, I don't know, old or. Boring. I I, yeah. I don't quite know what boring means. So
0: have you I heard of the or... um the concept from Zen Buddhism like beginner's mind? I forget the the other word for it.
1: Yeah, it's it's um uh uh Zen mind, beginner's mind. Or yeah, that that's the name of the book, I think. Um,
0: right. And uh, I I forget the I, I guess it would be a Japanese word. It's like the Suzuki guy that wrote it. I think. Yeah. Um, but I can't think of the word. Uh, I. I just saw it recently, and it starts with like a, an SH, I think. Anyways, that that's how I approach. Like, if I play a piece that I played all the time, you have to, or just hear hear a piece. Like, sometimes I'll go on a walk during the sunset, and like a piece will come on. And depending on the mood I'm in, I'll hear it with that beginner's mind of like, oh wow, this is like crazy. Like the the sound just hits you, and it's just like harmony. Whoa, a chord, you know. Whereas if it hit me, like when I'm just in the car, distracted, running late, I'll be like, turn that Bach off. It's too loud. You know? <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So there's just a way you can actually practice having beginner's mind by just reminding yourself like, okay, what did I, how did I experience Mahler's Fifth Symphony when I was in high school? And how do I experience it now? Like there's, you know hedonic adaptation? Like that's the fancy word for like in psychology, your body, like the physiology adapts to the experiences you have. So you don't have the reaction anymore. So like my first time hearing Mahler, um, you're just overwhelmed. You could cry. You have the goosebumps. And then that doesn't stick around forever, but you can sort of get back there a little bit. If you practice that beginner's mind thing, I think as a performer or as a player, I mean, or as a a listener.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think especially a powerful piece like Messiah, not to constantly talk about Messiah, but...
0: Well, you have played it 14 times, 20 times.
1: <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. So, but I I think what's... I think the reason why people come back and hear it every year is that it's sort of like one... On one level, It it's sort of a way to check in with yourself, like, you know, sort of New Year's resolution or, you know, you can imagine how your life has changed or stayed the same since last year when you came to hear it or play Mm. it. And, and I also think of whenever I play it, like I, I like to imagine that there are people, this will be their first time hearing it Mm. and there'll be, this will be their last time hearing it. And that next year I won't see them, you know, and, and it, and especially because the trumpet part is about, everlasting life and resurrection you know the the trumpet shell sound aria right i I just feel like i want to try to tap into those kind of that personal relationship with the music that hopefully um gets reflected to the audience as well and i think it is obvious like she she uh yanka
0: came down to the stouton festival i think that's the first time you heard her playing right yeah and yeah, you exude something different than a lot of trumpet players. I think, would you agree there's somewhat of a problem, specifically in the trumpet world, of technique being elevated above all the stuff you're talking about, like expression and artistry?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just because it's such a beast, you know? Yeah. It's it's such it's So such much a harder technically... than violin. Yeah. <laughs> just
2: ignore what you said
1: (laughs) just forget he said that i mean he's totally right (laughs) (laughs) truth is
0: truth but anyways go on sorry But
1: (laughs) (laughs) but anyway um yeah i mean at least the like the things that that we need to do like the consistency and the accuracy are are things that um that are simple but difficult, and and I think it's it's really easy to focus your whole being on making sure that you don't make mistakes or that mm-hmm. you're super accurate. And you know, and I think that's kind of where that that whole thing comes from, um, yeah. because you know nobody wants to make a big mistake in the middle of a concert, for example. At
0: the volume of the trumpet. Although I like to
1: think of it. <laughs>
0: What's that? At the volume of a trumpet, because everyone will hear that mistake.
1: Everyone will hear it. But you know, my my response to that is that I am just showing a reflection of my humanity. And that we are all <laughs> we are all capable of failing.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um <laughs> if if it, 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 like i think i was gesturing at that earlier the randomness part like it's when you are cool with the possibility of failure that you actually find more free performances
1: yeah yeah for sure and i think actually that's that's um that's probably why why we tend to see more um brass playing that is a little more careful yeah yeah um but you know there are people who don't play that way. Like if you want to go listen to some old recordings or watch some videos of Rolf Smedvig um, mm-hmm. in in the old heyday of Empire Brass and that entire ensemble, it still it still just lights my brain on fire when I when I watch them play and and see how committed they all were to to what they're playing and and I think that was just such an, a big influence. Yeah. You know, even before doing early music, like that's how I want to play.
0: Yeah, that mm-hmm. commitment thing. Like there's such, there's a seriousness that certain people have when they play that it's like, this is how it goes. Trust me. You know? <laughs> like
1: Yeah, totally. And
0: you totally have that. Like that was my first time on Baroque Trumpet playing in a section with you this past summer. And yeah, that's the energy when a when a a leader of a section is, is leading in that way. Not just like, here's exactly where the notes go with the rhythm or something, but this is how it goes. Like, musically, yes. everybody can sync up to that. And I think one of the reasons trumpet players have, tend to have the stereotype of big egos is because we are loud, we're often in the back, and our sound is not just for the other trumpets to follow, but also for the orchestra to follow. How we yeah. release the sound and and all of the those subtle details, people hear it just by the nature of the instrument.
1: Yeah, and I, that was uh, just because you mentioned it. It was it was so cool uh, to to get an opportunity to play together in in that way.
0: Yeah, it was um, trippy a little bit.
1: With... <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I bet. I mean, uh, well, plus I had you for and... me too.
0: Fair amount, I I forget what we said it was, but it was at least six years or something like that. Like we had had online lessons, but um, I don't think I, we had seen each other for six years, five years, something like that.
1: Yeah, not online.
0: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: so um, I have a question here. Um, yeah, it was the last first time I saw you playing last year, last summer in Stanton Music Festival. And what I loved about I think your interpretation is like, I think you had a perfect balance of how much of your personality comes through your playing. And then also mm-hmm. it was so effortless. And I think my question is like, how do you, because for some people, like when I'm watching them performing, there's a lot of ego showing. And then it's more like for the sake of expressing like people, like impressing people, not expressing. So I was just mm. curious, how do you find a nice balance of showing personality? But, just also staying so humble, like you I think, do that really well,
1: well, you're so kind, um we're a trumpet player,
2: <laughs> yeah, right for a <laughs> trumpet
1: player, I mean, honestly, I think that um I, I and and this is probably gonna sound like I don't know, like a canned response or something, but i I let the music take over, you know i I really want as much as i possibly can to just be a vessel for the music Mm -hmm. and and however i can you know there there are many times when i i kind of just want my whole self to disappear and and have the only thing left is is whatever sound is happening or you know the idea of what it is that i want to express and I just, I kind of want myself to just completely not even be part of it.
2: I see. Okay. I yeah. hope it gets easier, like the more you <laughs> perform, because I that's something that I've been really struggling with lately, I guess, personally. It's hard. You're to, in yeah. audition mode, too. I think that's it's so, harder so to true, do that yeah. in
0: audition mode, you know? It's like, where you're just, you're literally aware that there are people behind yeah. a curtain that are
2: that's true.
0: judging your technique not just your musicality.
2: Yeah, it's like playing you're playing guitar hero or something. Like you're just <laughs> hitting the right buttons at the right time. It started turning into that and it's very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Oh no, I can I I think you're totally right and I and I know I've I've talked with um my students but see, since I'm practically ancient, um I I don't have that same um you know, I'm not doing auditions. It's a different thing when you're already out and playing and, and such, but, um, but yeah, that whole audition thing and finding a way to, uh, to not care what anyone thinks.
0: Yeah. And, and (laughs) And, there's like a good version of that and a bad version of that, you know, and for sure people mistake those, I think, but the good version is like, you're not scared of, their judgment in the sense that like I want to impress them you know yes it's more like um, yeah. I I don't care in that sense because like th- th- there's a weird sense of like you care and you don't care like you know like <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, know. I know I know well yeah I guess um, I guess part of you know some of the advice that I give for my students is to just um, you know s- stay focused on, On what, what, what it is you want to say, like, what is the message? What, what is the um, story that you're there to tell? Mm. And if you can, if you can stay focused on that, then usually the idea of someone else's judgment won't even be part of the conversation.
0: Yeah. Mm. Not in the moment, at least maybe. Right. Exactly. the hotel room Mm. afterwards when you're reflecting, you know, (laughs) all of those thoughts come flooding, but Yeah.
1: Yeah, or you know, like me, you know, twenty years later. You'll <laughs> yes. Well, yeah will be thinking about that in one note or
0: <laughs> Yanka's weird like that. She can tell you after a performance, she's like, you know, damn it, in measure 37 that F sharp was like a quarter tone sharp, not or you know, like
2: <laughs> that specific, but I can tell mostly which is not healthy, I think. I I'll be like, how'd that, that audition
0: go? She's like three notes were sharp. I'm like, huh.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, so that's the takeaway. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: but yeah. I'm not
2: that but shallow, please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, it's a compliment well, that you I have need- more of that perfect pitch, like, you know, ability to analyze what you're doing. And that's why you, yeah. what, what, like, her standard of what, oh, I sucked is like, I'm still amazing, you know. Like, but um, <laughs> no. what I think what you're getting at is getting
2: like, it so wrong. It's okay.
0: You every audition you take, you say else? that that sucked, and then it you end, you end up winning it or something. Like,
2: <laughs> oh, no. Okay, I have nothing to say
0: about this. Go
2: to You always aim for better. I don't
0: know. Last, do you know that quote? <laughs> it, it's, uh, Last year a foolish monk. This year no change. <laughs> no. I forget Three who, I, it's like, it's from some Japanese poem, but like, I think about it all the time, like pretty much every year I go, man, I sucked that trumpet last year. <laughs> and then the next year, no change, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> Which is either really good well, or bad, I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, just like what we were talking about earlier too, our our curve kind of changes over time. And, you know, I, I think as, as someone who's... um further down the road than you are in age, for example. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I was trying to be creative and not say how older. old I feel.
0: <laughs> or even the word <laughs> but, older. <laughs> yeah,
1: right, exactly. But, um, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like at least for me, a lot of things have changed in terms of what, what I value. And, And that's probably just where you are too, you know, being a perfectionist or a recovering perfectionist, um, I think is, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's that perfectionism that often leads us on the path to, to being great at something. But then at least for me, I find that it, it, it doesn't help me, um, go to the next level because it's really just sort of a, um, uh, more of a hindrance, um, that, and, and, and so I try to turn it around and think of, you know, I'm looking for perfection of intent or perfection of, um, of process Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as opposed to the thinking about the result.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We were great advice in the, in the, um, First episode we did just talking about this concept of Kodawari, like pursuing perfection, knowing you can't get there, yet you still pursue it. We were saying how like you can't ever, that's a good value, but you can never have a value without some counterbalance value that keeps it in check. Because otherwise you spin out of control and become a perfectionist in the negative sense. And for musicians, I think that counterbalance is the musical message, like being an artist, not a technician,
1: Or at least using using the technique only only as a tool, mm-hmm. um, or or you know the technical mind using that technical mind because it's it's not like you want to throw it all away, um, because you need some of that. But I think finding finding a way to reconcile the the two sides of uh, technical thought and musical thought or intent. And trying to as much, you know, and I think, yeah, part of that is uh, finding a new way to erase yourself and get it to be about the music.
0: Yeah, you sort of have to rewrite your source code of like, what's my prime directive here as a musician? Was there an age
1: that that shifted for you? Um, I mean, I would have, that's a tough question, Luke.
0: Um, I mean, not an exact I mean, number, but like a, a sort of right. period of life, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, so often I feel like everything points back to the to the discovery for myself of early music and performance mm-hmm. practice. Um, But I'm sure there were other places along the way. And I think it's it's a matter of getting an influence from a teacher. Like, I remember my first private teacher in high school, like, I was a junior, and, um, you know, it's just, it's the idea of, like, opening up a new level of, of you know, you think, you think you know kind of what you're doing, and then you meet an influence, or a teacher, or hear someone play, and then you realize, oh, wow. Yeah. What, there's the level up mm-hmm, moment. There's so many layers above this.
0: Yeah you thought you were um, looking down one road that's like, yeah, I know what's down there. And then someone's like, no, no, you got to come 10 feet more this way and then look. And you're like, Whoa. Okay. I see.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I hope, hopefully I think that's, I think that's kind of how it's supposed to be. Like we're, we're supposed to be influenced by um, people that we come, come across and, and just like as a teacher, I'm influenced by students of mine all the time. Like, here's a yeah. perfect example, this, <laughs> this conversation, you know, seriously.
0: Yeah. yeah, totally. What was, um that was one of the questions I had written down, like how has teaching affected how you approach being a musician? Because I know a lot of musicians who just never really got into teaching. I sort of fell into it be- because it, it just sort of took off while I was in school and a studio got built up and I didn't necessarily think it would be important or not, but I just, it was like, I was like, Hey, cool. This is a way to make money without having to like work at a restaurant while in college or something. Um, and now when I Mm -hmm. reflect back, I think I wouldn't be, I wouldn't understand music the way I do if I had not had to teach it and still like teaching, I, I think as annoying as it can be with, with bad students, um, it forces you to you know, just articulate what you think in a different way. I don't know. What it is, did, did that have an effect on you or like when did you start teaching?
1: Well, my first students were actually when I was still in high school. Oh, wow. So, so, um, I think I got five dollars a lesson. Whoa. <laughs> Which back in the olden days, that was a pretty big sum note. But, um, yeah, so, Teaching, you know, I guess even when I was a kid, like, before taking music, like, whenever I had, like, cousins around and stuff, I always wanted to, like, play school or, you mm-hmm. know, so I guess teaching has always kind of been in my, in my blood. Mm-hmm. Um, But, yeah, it was, it was during undergrad, especially when I had a, a large stable of students. And I mean, we're talking about like I had at least twenty something students um, mm-hmm. during undergrad, and and then in, in during my master's degree, I had like fifty. Um, mostly oh, half gosh. hours though, but I know. Still, oh. it's fifty categories of things <laughs> yeah. to think about. <laughs> <laughs> fifty different people, and yeah. yeah, I feel like I feel like of anything that that I've done as a musician, I feel like the teaching has informed me more than anything. I feel like it's been, Mm -hmm. it's helped me to like, um, understand the imaginations of other people, or at least attempt to, Mm -hmm. um, to try to understand other people's experience or, um, the way, the way some people see things, um, and how to, how to try to get into different characters and different people's heads so that I can understand how to help them best. Yeah. And I feel like that, that gives you a little bit of, um, I don't know, like, uh, vocabulary of being an actor as a performer. Yeah. You know, to try to get in touch with these different characters that you need to express.
0: Right. Cause as, as players, like, And I use that language all the time with students. I'll say, okay, if what you are playing right now is like a book or a play or something, what character came out just now? And they might not have ever thought that like a piece of music could have different characters. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, we have to represent this character with our sound somehow. Um, We can't write about him and say, this tall person with dark hair, this, you know, you have to, so how do we change... And, and it just gets them thinking like, oh, music is a story. And that's what I, it always comes down back to, I think, for me, is like, I have to remember, like, human beings, we're, we're, our, our minds evolve to, to understand reality through story. And that's why music's so good at telling story, because it's not specifics. It's not like Billy went here and Susie ate an apple, you know, like, I mean, it could be, but I, I think like when you listen to a Mahler symphony, like it's working on those like deeper subconscious layers of storytelling. And, you know, I don't know, every time I go back and listen to a Mahler symphony, for example, I'll connect to the story with the new life details that that I have in my head currently But it still fits because if you have a deep story, a deep truth, like it works for all the things upstream that might be current in your life or the other two thousand people in the concert hall. That's not going to happen for a couple (laughs) six months, but right? (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, I think I think it comes down to that story thing, and teaching certainly helps. I don't know, Yanka might have a different opinion because she's (laughs) teaching way too much right now, like online lessons. Uh, She took over some studios. Yeah, now not know the online fifth is hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: no, it gets really tough. But no, I mean, I think after I started teaching and like I was verbally able to express something that I was doing was the first time that I actually understood how I'm doing like bow technique and stuff like those are such complicated concepts on violin. And I improved so much mm. like about technical aspects, like once I started speaking them to someone else. Which was, yeah, my Absolutely. biggest discovery, yeah.
0: Well, it's like, it's like you don't know what you think until you have to say it kind of thing, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, so there's an element of, like, there's an element of, like, I need, to, like, sometimes I have this, like, sort of meta-awareness while I'm teaching where I go, like, I, I kind of want to know how I complete this thought because I'm trying to describe something about how air and the vibration of something, and I'm kind of, like, curious what, the brain thinks and then i'm like wait i am my brain and then i'm like wait am i and then i'm like no you're teaching pay attention <laughs> 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 but yeah i think you definitely i remember you said that to me she started teaching maybe three years ago
2: yeah three four years ago, and
0: I and especially since english was her uh, relatively new at that point like that made it even harder to communicate musical ideas which are so yeah abstract and like sure. you know but
2: they both helped each other so much when my english got so much better after i started teaching and also definitely like teaching got so much easier after i started speaking english properly so yeah
0: what's the um, best memory you've had on the performer side of a concert and then like also on the listener side of a concert oh
1: gosh that's a tough
0: one or whatever one pops into your head
1: from that prompt you know <laughs> Yeah. I, I think especially it's, that's such an interesting question, especially right now, because, because of the no concerts and, and I alluded to that earlier, but it's sort of, um, it's, it, it almost feels like a dream, you know, that, that, that we used to do such things. Um, I mean, one that really sticks out, uh, off the top of my head was a, uh, a tour that I got to do with a, a renaissance band in my early days of, of my early music um, career. And we were in Salamanca, Spain and we got to play in this little chapel that was built in 1100. Oh wow. And we were doing a a reconstruction of a renaissance mass. And so I got to play I got to start the whole concert with a trumpet call Mm -hmm. that I devised, you know, looking at sources from the time and, and uh, I sort of did a reconstruction of what a trumpet might sound like. um, And just hearing, I don't know, hearing my sound um, bounce off of these walls where so many people have walked and, and listened and, been a part of and and who knows you know how many funerals or weddings or yeah uh you know events baptisms or whatever um and that it just it it kind of floored me actually that one of those
0: step back moments you see like phew, not just your life you're like whoa i'm part of this giant thing that is quite mysterious but you know yeah i know i know what you mean sometimes i'll get that same feeling just looking at the stars it's that like I'm in a universe, like what, you know, in (laughs) this case, it's like I'm participating in history, like, you know, but you said it's from 1100, you were?
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the chapel was built in 1100. Like that's
0: an easy year to read in a book, you know, it's uh, 1100, like, (laughs) but to like (laughs) connect with it viscerally is pretty intense, yeah.
1: Yeah. What about as an attendee of a concert? Gosh, um, you know, in my mind the the things that I go to are I think they were the concerts that I that I went to um, as an undergrad at Michigan. We had this rush ticket program and, and all of the seats were five bucks. Nice and That's one and trumpet lesson. Really nice, <laughs> yeah. And there's a really nice concert hall on campus and lots of really big groups from all over. Um, Like I heard Chicago Symphony there. I heard um, it was a Russian orchestra doing um, Beethoven 7. And I remembered thinking, I've never heard that many people play so softly. Mm. And it's blowing my mind, you know. Mm. And, you know, one of the other things that I remember from that series, the, um, you know, like the student tickets, um, this was before I was – I uh, before I, would, I had played any period instruments, but I went to hear and see uh, Mark Morris's um, ballet of, um, or you know, dance dance troupe uh, setting of Purcell's Dido and Aeneas, and I had just never seen anything or heard anything like it. Mm. And I, as soon as it was over, I bought a ticket to go back the next day. <laughs> nice. That's a and good. I, that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it was, I mean, that it was sort of that, it was during, it was during that semester that I was taking a performance practice class. Mm-hmm. Um, so, So, so yeah, you were that, like,
0: I uh, need to see that again and just get more data.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was just so beautiful. And it, yeah, it just really set, it set me on fire. Like I hadn't, I hadn't felt that way in a while.
0: Yeah, I remember. Um, what, it was at I think New York City Opera. We saw King Arthur. King I Arthur. guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on
1: modern instruments, you know, it's a whatever. It's okay. But um, I know you probably had to <coughs> suffer through me explain, you know, or uh, being annoyed by that. No, I, that was Mark
0: Morris. Right. <laughs> Sorry about that. We we were we were. I think we enjoyed it. Yes, it was <laughs> plenty. <laughs> Uh, Was Mark Morris still at Tanglewood doing that thing when you were there? I don't think so. Oh, he used to do like they used to like have him come to Tanglewood and like choreograph like whatever pieces you were working on. Because I think that's a big thing Mm -hmm. in the early music world is like tying what you're doing to the visual motion of dance. And Mm -hmm. uh, like it, it totally blows your mind to like what different styles of Baroque music or music generally like like the visual of it is what made it make sense for me
1: yeah for sure yeah yeah and I think in in my imagination, so often when i'm playing playing music any music, there's some sort of even though even though I have zero training in dance mm-hmm. i i see i see the gestures happen in my head,
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah it's it's like um half visual half like the feel of it like I could imagine the the like the um the gravity feel of it sort of, you know, like,
1: yeah, like the weight of a the gabbat. weight of it. Yes, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so you ready for bonus questions?
1: Oh, sure. I always love a bonus.
0: Question. <laughs> so <laughs> the, you could, you, you know, speed round or not, feel free to take, you know, a minute or five seconds, but you know, okay, just a few quick ones to end us here. Uh, we'll see who's your favorite composer and why?
1: I <laughs> you mean, know, uh, you have to say <laughs> it has to be Bach. Come on. <laughs> like i don't know it's
0: uh, it's a hard question. And, and then it's i'm like, speechless yeah. yeah
1: that's why oh
0: good nailed it <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see what what did you believe 10 years ago that you no longer believe now
1: hmm i uh
0: or that or you can flip that and just be like how what's a belief that's changed over the last 10 years
1: well i think that that life is is going to be its thing and yes you can be prepared but i don't i don't think we can necessarily plan how things go yeah, I mean, that's a big one for me, especially the last 10 years yeah. of my life.
0: Yeah, there's a sort of like, um, what's the expression? Just lift up your legs and float downstream. <laughs> you know, like so many people are on their life raft, like grabbing to the sides, trying to re- grab a branch or something. And it's just like, there's such a freedom in being like, I'm going with the stream. Not not in the sense that, that you know, you're going with things that feel wrong or something, but just like, the wisdom, I guess, is knowing when should you let go of a branch and when should you hold on to it or something. But I found as I get older, the same thing, like letting go is way more valuable than grabbing on tight.
1: (laughs) Oh, man, that that there you go. The wisdom of youth. (laughs) Well, I'm only 30. So what am I going
0: to say when I'm 40? I'm pretty freaking scared. (laughs) See? Yeah. Well, (laughs) maybe I'll be like, I think it was about letting go. Now it's about holding on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's see. Uh, What can you remember about the time you laughed the hardest or like what memory pops into your head from that?
1: You know, I mostly think of uh, a good friend of mine who's a a fabulous conductor. And we would find ourselves laughing about things um, and not not even being able to remember why and having it go so far that we don't even know what we were laughing at. I mean, okay. I think that's, that's the real thing.
0: Yanka has this really best is. friend named uh, back in Turkey named Seda. And for some reason, when they get together, that's all that happens. And nobody else knows yeah, what's going on.
2: <laughs> I, we don't know why either yet. Yeah
1: that's that's like, kind of
0: literally for kind of hours um, that's
2: true yeah. <laughs> yeah everybody has that friend i guess that happened i do too i <laughs> you guess yeah. communicate without even talking
0: yeah like you just <laughs> like make the right eye contact and like you thought you were recovered and nope
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: totally um, yeah
0: there's no explanation for it but that's what's good about laughter it's sort of like when something's ridiculous enough you their words wouldn't capture it anyway so let's just make laughing sounds <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um, all right. So without naming any names or situations, what's the most ridiculous thing you've ever encountered as being a performer <laughs> while being a performer?
1: Oh, oh man. Um. Let's see.
0: Because me and Yaka, at, at, certainly at this point in our lives, we still do the kind of gigs where we're like, oh, my God. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Is this really happening?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah
1: yeah um, I think I think the thing that I can think of and and like I said, no specifics, but um, it was a matter of like um where we had to we had to make sure that we had the three things we needed to have the correct instrument, the correct music, and the correct location that we needed to be because there would sometimes, you know we would play play something up in the balcony. And you needed to have a cornetto and you're going to play this music. And then you would have to go down into the, on, you know, onto the stage and then mm-hmm. make sure that you had your trumpet and this other music and make sure that you didn't mix those things up so that you didn't have your trumpet up in the balcony and, you know, right, right. <laughs> that kind of thing. And
0: w- was that successfully
1: mm. managed? <laughs> Yeah, I think it, I think we, if I recall, we had like a scorecard. Okay, and and I think most people ended up okay, but you know sometimes that that's not how that works. And then and you see someone across this, you know, like downstairs when they're supposed to be upstairs and it's supposed to happen, and you know that <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> or you ever
0: be like you're sitting second trumpet or something, and you look over and you're like, all right, I don't want to be the guy to poke the principal trumpet and say, you know, you your part's coming up, but I'm not sure they know, what do I do? <laughs> like, or Oof, they're holding the yeah, wrong that's... instrument, you know they think they're holding their C trumpet, but it's a different trumpet, you know, stuff like that.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've seen that.
0: I mean, we all have those, we all know those colleagues who you're just always, you're like, should I send an extra text to remind them, like, this is on Baroque instruments or something like that? <laughs> like, <laughs> totally or do i need to remind them that that they're coming to this concert today you know
1: (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. they're in a different place
0: yeah it for better or worse sometimes it's like hey i want to go visit wherever you're you're hanging out (laughs) 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 but yeah i think both of our personalities yanka too we're both like when there's something like that coming up we go into a different mode of like I've never forgotten my passport on the way to the airport, you know, like, I would never could have met, knock on wood.
2: Yeah, right. (laughs) We might as well.
0: (laughs) Um, Whereas like, I had an old roommate that uh, was like flying to Croatia or something, and just like kind of left the house all like, do, 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 and then got to Jamaica, was on the air train to JFK and was like, shit, my passport. And I'm like, how does that happen? Like, that's the one one thing that will stop you from traveling. You could forget I mean, anything else. Of,
1: exactly. That's the sort of stuff I have dreams about or nightmares. You know? Right. Yeah, Do you
0: ever have the mouthpiece dreams where you go to play oh. and the mouthpiece isn't there?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Or it's the wrong mouthpiece or like there's something stuck in the mouthpiece or. Yeah. Especially with trumpet, all the different parts and pieces. And I don't know how many times I will be on the way to the airport and I will stop and pull over. And even though I just looked at what was in my case. <laughs>
0: yeah it's like the the old keys wallet phone you're just tapping make sure they're all there <laughs> totally totally because yeah. you just know like it's it's gonna ruin everything like <laughs> yeah if 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 i don't have my mouthpiece best case scenario someone else has one but it's gonna feel so different than yours and it yeah <laughs> I, i'm the same way i even though i know i double checked it i'll i'll check again
1: yeah it's obsessive
0: um well where can uh people find you um what's your website it's just your name right chris Quapis. it is dot com or, or or yeah
1: chris dot com yeah
0: cool check out i'll link it in the episode notes but ch- there's a section on the website with um your paintings too
1: mm-hmm. awesome thank you for mentioning that yeah
0: um anything else
2: i think we covered everything
0: cool That's we solved questions. all the mysteries of the universe
2: yeah
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> it only took about an hour yeah
0: yeah <laughs> well I'll, I'll hit stop on the recording and then we can just say goodbye off air
1: okay perfect that sounds good all right mm-hmm.
0: all right thanks for listening to this episode of exploring kodawari if you enjoyed it we hope you'll consider sharing it on social media and with friends you can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts those help us more than you would think and if you'd like to help us out in a more substantial way consider going over to our website to make a donation through PayPal. Links are in the episode notes for this. You can do this as a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. All of that support will help us to set aside time in order to create content for the podcast and the blog. And finally, please get in touch with us and say hi, either on social media or privately through email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and see you next time.